0: And welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good. Cliche. Romantic. Questionable. Hilarious.
1: Occasionally humorous.
0: Films she's never wanted to watch. Well, Madison, mm-hmm.
1: you and I might be the only people that find this interesting. But I thought I'd give the listeners a bit behind the scenes look at what goes on here at The Laughs Studio. Okay. Before recording this, I was editing an upcoming episode. So by now you will have heard The Hating Game. That's the episode in question. And a fun fact about this episode, which is on a film we'll get to later, this episode was supposed to appear in the lineup after The Hating Game. So at the end of the recording we get to the part where we're telling people what episode is up next and we say that it's this film and we have a conversation about coastal grandmas because of who is in this movie and then that leads me to to discuss a video i saw with the coastal grandma in question and another in which they're talking about egots and at the time of recording the hayden game Viola Davis had just become the 18th person to hold EGOT status. She just won the Grammy for her audio book. So then I, I said to you in that episode, I said, do you think Viola Davis has ever been in a rom-com? And I started wheezing editing this because what the listeners will not know is that at the time we didn't know... That due to scheduling errors and things like that, we were going to have to shift around the movies and what order they were going to appear in. And so the next film we watched was Kate and Leopold, <laughs> in which Viola Davis makes a cameo. <laughs> she so I, I was wheezing while editing and I had to pause. And also this was eight minutes of audio that had to get cut from the hating game because that's not the movie we ended up watching next. Incredible. It was like, it's really a shame. Uh, And I started to wonder, am I a witch? Is manifesting real? Because I asked you, has Viola Davis ever been in a rom-com? And then, due to unforeseen circumstances, the movie we're going to discuss today was not the movie that we ended up recording next. It ended up being Kate and Leopold, in which Viola Davis appears. It's true. You know what? Even if my only power as a witch is conjuring Viola Davis, I'll take it. (laughs)
0: Honestly, that sounds like the best thing ever, just I want to see a movie called The Conjuring of Viola Davis, where you have you play yourself and you're like, "Oh no, I feel unlucky in love. And then here's this perfect partner and Viola Davis is just constantly there as like your fairy godmother facilitating all of this. Wow. Do you think that we could make this happen? I don't. Well, maybe it happened once. I think. Yeah, exactly. I manifested her into the next movie we <laughs> discussed. So Viola Davis manifestation is a real thing and no
1: one can convince me otherwise. Who knows the the bounds of my power?
0: Not me. And I live in constant fear of it. If I'm being completely candid. As you should. As you should. Wow, this kind of feels like a bit of a threat now that you say it like that.
1: Well, you should live in threat of my power because as the host of this podcast, I can kick you, my guest, off at any point. It's true. You, you definitely can. Well, also, I want to tell everybody as as my new segment on the show, which is announcing what I'm wearing while I'm recording, which is really just what pajama bottoms I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. I am wearing my... Batman joggers. Wow. I'm also wearing appropriately my green t-shirt that says a day without reading is like, and it goes dot, dot, dot. And then in parentheses, it says, just kidding. I have no idea. And I've had a lot of anxiety about wearing this shirt over the last eight months because I haven't been able to read a book uh, for reasons that are too long and boring to get into but mostly having to do with burnout from my last job and um it is i have great news for you madison i'm ready i have read not one but (gasps) two books this last weekend
0: oh my god who is she i know it's
1: incredible honestly this is like a huge step i uh was watching a tiktok with uh an interview it's a snippet of an interview from Drew Barrymore's new show. And she had on Jeanette McCurdy, whose uh memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, came out back in August. And yes. I've been wanting to read it. You know, while I haven't been able to read books, I've been keeping up to date on, you know, everything that's being published. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna see if it's on my audiobook app. It was. I mean, obviously this this is a, you know, it's very sad. Uh, you know, to d- she really was into acting because her mother wanted to live vicariously through her which led to a physically verbally and emotionally abusive relationship with her mom and stuff but it was if you can read it I think it's a good read
0: Mm
1: -hmm. oh and then you you might know what the other book I read was because I texted you a picture of the cover and I said if you haven't read this you need to read it ASAP and that is the listeners might not believe this a rom com. Oh <gasps> it- what? <laughs> I know. I read I read a sapphic rom com called Kiss Her Once For Me. It's a holiday story. And the basic gist is that uh, this young girl last Christmas, you know, she was out of grad school, had the perfect job, and during a weird snowstorm in Portland, meets this woman, they have a great day together, but it turns into basically just a one-night stand. Fast forward to the following holiday, she's broke. She's lost that job. She's working at a coffee shop, and her mother's an asshole. Her mother, yeah, her mother's an absolute asshole. Not unlike Jeanette McCurdy's mother. I was about to say, um, am I sensing a theme? I I like Erin. <laughs> no, my mother. My mother is nothing like these women. My mother's great. Uh, hi, mom. Uh, no, but but uh, in in walks the man who owns the building the coffee shop she works at is in and he takes her out for drinks one night and basically tells her that he has to get married because there's a stipulation in his grandfather's will he can't inherit the large sum of money unless he's married she could use the money so she can get 10 percent of his inheritance if they basically have a sham marriage and so as his fiance, she goes off to his family's cabin to have a great, wonderful family Christmas. And who is his sister? It's her one-night stand from last Christmas. Uh, it is... Oh, It was so good. It was so, so good. Look, I, I think after reading this, because I've read other rom-coms that I've liked uh, reading them, I think I've decided that I think rom-coms work better in the literary medium than they do on film. I'm obviously... We've watched ones that I have enjoyed, but I think a lot of times they require you to accept a lot of things that I'm not the person that's going to accept those (laughs) weird plot holes. I'm not just going to like – you know run over that Uh, I'm gonna stop and like you need to fix this uh and I think that obviously in in literature you have a lot more room to expand on things and make things make more sense and I just think characters are better so anyway I recommend both of those books I'm excited to have read two things hopefully it will continue hopefully this isn't a fluke hopefully after eight months eight nine months of not reading
0: I I can I'm I'm back to reading that would be really great (laughs) I believe in you. You're follow it sounds like you're following the same gateway drug back into reading that I did. Once I graduated college, I read I think two books the year after I graduated. One of those was a reread. It was uh Oksana Behave by Maria Kuznetsova. And the other honestly couldn't tell you what it was. I can't remember. So I guess it didn't make that big of an impact on me. And then the next year after that was when I started getting really back into audiobooks. And my life changed in that moment. Although I think still that year, I only read maybe two physical books (laughs) that entire year. And again, the other one was Something Unbelievable by Maria Kuznetsova. So this is just an ad for her books, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I think it's your way of trying to secure a, a future guest we
1: want to have on
0: it, perhaps maybe maybe if we can't get that guest, maybe she'll come on. okay, Maria Kuznetsova wants to be on our podcast, and I'm happy to have her. I fingers crossed. um I don't see any reason why she would want to be. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wonderful. But no, now now I um I actually have the new Emily Henry in my hands. I've gotten I've broken into it. So I'm going through that. I also read everything that Lily Gold has ever written, but that's four books. I say ever written. It's four books. You know, on TikTok, I
1: there was a creator that like a book talker that was talking about reading and she phrased it as I read this with my ears or (gasps) I read this with my eyes.
0: Uh And
1: I know that might sound ridiculous to some people, but one thing I am always swearing up and down is people will kind of try to minimize and diminish audiobooks as if you're not reading, but you absolutely are. Um, And a couple of things. To say that audiobooks aren't reading is highly ableist uh, because there are folks who – cannot read a physical book either due to a visual impairment or neuroprocessing disorders. Um, so it absolutely is reading. Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason that they are available that way. Uh, and also storytelling is, is rooted in an oral tradition. We were listening to stories for hundreds and thousands of years before we were ever writing them down.
0: Yeah, I was about to say I think there's um like a, a classist route to not uh authorizing audiobooks to be considered reading uh in a general sense because like you said, you know, storytelling was exclusively an oral tradition for so long I think that it's actually really beautiful that audiobooks have been able to maintain that in a really meaningful way and I think that we don't give enough credit to the people who bring them to life I mean fuck Julia Whalen, Natalie Nautilus um, Zachary Webb or Weber I can't remember his last name something like that they're all incredible performers you just you know enjoy them with your ears
1: (laughs) You know, it's just a different way of bringing the story to life. And, you know, people listen to podcasts, which are not necessarily the same thing, although there are a number of podcasts, ones that are really popular that are fiction podcasts. It's Mm -hmm. a story that's being told. And that's the medium they're choosing to tell the story. So I don't know. I just think it's. People like to think they're better than other people, and I think that's a very weird flex to be like, oh, I only read books, like physical books.
0: I know. It's like, what do you do when you drive? (laughs) I
1: I don't know. They sit in silence and contemplate how how else they can try and feel superior to other people.
0: Okay, you want to know something? I had a coworker. Now, her commute was not very long. My commute was about 25 minutes. Hers was closer to 15, 20. But she confirmed that to work, and back home, she would drive in absolute silence. And I have never heard anything so sociopathic in my entire life. No music, no audiobook, no podcast, not talking on the phone with someone, nothing. Sheer silence. That is someone that has
1: no experience with anxiety and depression. I do not need to be left alone with my thoughts. They're no. already evil I don't need to make I don't need to give them more opportunity to torment me
0: no it would be terrible and I'd get so distracted you know I feel like having something on the radio uh you know tunes me in to what I'm doing I I can't I can't even work without sound I have to if I'm dialed in to what I'm working on I have to have something blaring in the background can't do it That's like that uh, experiment that they
1: did where they left people alone in a room with like some kind of shocking device and they were just supposed to sit there for 15 minutes or I, I don't know how long the time was, but it was something like 15, 20 minutes. And they said that I don't remember what percentage of the people, but a lot of the people chose to shock themselves as opposed to just sit there and do nothing because people don't want to think their thoughts. So anyone that does want to think their thoughts, I have serious uh, concerns about. Like, are you plotting a murder? (laughs) Are you?
0: I don't know. I don't know what you're doing with that silent time. No, I am in a constant state of both over and under stimulation all the time. I can't handle just I mean, I can't even sleep with like dead quiet. Moving out of the city and into a more rural area has killed my sleep patterns because there's no one drunkenly singing um, Camila Cabello outside of my window at two in the morning. He was actually really good. What about a white noise machine? Yeah, I make my Alexa play sound mm, there you like, go. A, like a baby. <laughs> you know, they tell you to always have sounds on for babies so they can learn how to sleep through noise and not be jostled awake at every turn. Well, you know who else has trouble sleeping, Madison?
1: Who? The main characters in
0: this movie that we watched this week. You're so right. And what did we watch? Thanks for asking. I'll let you know. <laughs> this week, we watched Something's Gotta Give, featuring Jack Nicholson, Diane Heaton, Keanu Reeves, Amanda Peet, and Frances McDormand. Also, John Favreau makes a... Uh, Like a cameo sort of appearance here and there. And he is a cameo. Yeah, I'd like to remind everybody that uh, we either have cameos or jump scares, depending on (laughs) our thoughts on the actors themselves or actresses. Before we get into this, though, I had a difficult time trying to decide what I wanted for our cocktails, right? Because technically, at least one of the characters should not be drinking. And so I thought to myself, well, you could do like a cute little fruity mocktail with some honey for sweetener, some blackberries, some lemon, and then top that with some ginger beer. And that would be pretty good. A non-alcoholic option. Uh, And if you wanted to, you could add vodka into that for something to drink, and I also felt like it would be a really good beach drink. Alternatively, though, you could just have a glass of scotch, because I feel like that's what he would do anyway. I also considered a glass of champagne, but I don't want to toast to the ending of this movie, but we'll get there. Without further ado, I shall tell you about Something's Gotta Give. Harry Sanborn, played by Jack Nicholson, is a wealthy New York businessman who... IMDb phrases it as has a habit of dating women under 30 years old for 40 years. Um,
1: Sounds like Leonardo DiCaprio to me. Right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's incredibly problematic, but we'll get to that later. He is seeing his latest conquest, Marin, who is played by Amanda Peet, and they drive down to her mother's Hampton's Beach house. They expected to be alone, however, they're surprised when Marin's mother, who's a successful playwright, Erica Berry, played by Diane Keaton, and her sister Zoe, played by Frances Dormant, show up. After an awkward dinner, well, first, I want to note that. Uh, Diane Keaton and Frances McDormand walk in on Jack Nicholson in his underwear, rifling through her fridge. That's never something you want to see. They convince him that it's all right, that he's there, expecting to be alone. You know, the night turns disastrous. And then Amanda Peet and Jack Nicholson's character anticipated going to the beach house to have sex for the first time together. And during foreplay, uh Jack Nicholson's character has a heart attack and is rushed to the hospital. Uh but not before Diane Keaton performs CPR mouth to mouth on him. And there he is treated by an incredibly handsome doctor, Julian Mercer, played by Keanu Reeves, who tells Harry that he has to stay in the area for a few days. And since he has no other living arrangements, he ends up staying with Erica while Amanda Pete's character, Marin goes back to the city, which was so awkward. Like, Hey, here's my guy. I've been dating. uh, Who's I think 30 years, her senior at least. And, hey stay with my mom since you had a heart attack during foreplay. What a great setup. Erica is initially resistant to Harry's being there and then through a series of both mishaps where she accident he accidentally runs into her naked and she ends up coming to like him through a series of Hangouts, dinners, strolls on the beach, etc. They sort of start a relationship, but then she's also dating Keanu Reeves because Keanu Reeves asked her out. And then he goes back to the city, and then she immediately sees him with somebody else having dinner with her ex husband, whose new wife is like half her age. Which, again, that's something we'll get into. All in all, Erica is brokenhearted and ends up sort of breaking things off with Keanu Reeves at the same time, but then she finishes her play and she's back with Keanu and her play is going on. And he realizes that it's all about the beach day. Um, Harry's the Jack Nicholson's character. He realizes that her play is about her experience with him at the beach, their relationship, that sort of thing. And she's made him into a very farcical character, Because he is. He's a fucking joke. But we'll get to that again. There's so much to unpack in this episode. Then she, they had made a pact that they would go to Paris for their birthdays because they're so close together since they had broken things off. Diane Keaton's character ends up spending her birthday in Paris with Julian and Harry just shows up in what he imagines is going to be a great grand gesture. And then she breaks things off with Keanu. The movie kind of picks up a year and a half later where Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson's characters are out to dinner with Marin and her new husband and their year old daughter. So this was a really weird one. I picked this one, Chelsea, for I think very valid reasons, but I don't think you enjoyed this movie at all. And you wanted to because you like Diane Keaton and you like Frances McDormand. But the plot was so icky that you could not get behind it. Uh, you would
1: be absolutely right. I hated this movie. I felt <laughs> icky from the opening sequence and I didn't feel better at any point during this movie. And as much as I wanted to like parts of it, and perhaps I did, it is I can't look back on the movie as a whole positively it's just, it's icky. It's gross. All of the yeah. synonyms for those words. That's what this movie is. I don't like it. Uh, no, thank you. Honestly, it might be going in the penalty box with never been kissed. I <laughs> hated this movie.
0: And I want to bring in the note too that this was both written and directed by Nancy Myers. And you love The Holiday. Nancy Meyer did The Holiday. This was a completely swing in a different direction. She did a lot of growth. In the three years between this movie and the holiday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She made better
0: decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Right out the gate, the reason why I chose this movie is we have not encountered movies with older love interests. Because they're not very common. We like to think that specifically we can allow older men to be romantic interests that's always been the case um but we can't let older women be romantic interests because at that point they're i don't know shriveled up raisins who should be shoved in a broom closet that's how ho- that's how hollywood act and so that's the initial reason why i chose this movie is i really liked the sort of push and pull to with the age factor because To me, it's gross when Jack Nicholson's character pursues younger women. But I had no problem with the age gap between Diane Keaton and Keanu Reeves.
1: Well, I have some theories as to why that is, but you can continue.
0: Well, I think your theories would be absolutely correct. The difference is is that Jack Nicholson's character, Harry, specifically seeks out younger women. He tries to find women who are very much his junior. And only dates within a very limited age range, you know, from 20 to 25, I guess, would be around, you know, but just think Leonardo DiCaprio. That's all you have to do. Whereas Diane Keaton is very resistant to the idea of Keanu Reeves because she's aware of the age gap. She knows that it is not a a social norm, but he is the one who pursues her. And she kind of allows herself to have the relationship, regardless of social views on the age difference. So it's it's I feel like even if she had pursued it with Keanu Reeves, it would have been because she does in the second half of the film. After she breaks things off, she sort of approaches him and is like, hey, you know, I know that everything got cut off abruptly and she accidentally stands him up and then refuses to take his calls because she's so embarrassed by everything that has gone on with Harry and with him and every, and with her ex-husband getting married to someone much younger. She just feels embarrassed about the whole situation. And then she does pursue him, but it's not that she's pursuing him because of his age. She's pursuing him because he a kind funny, and successful person. Okay, so here's, here's my thoughts on this. I, I don't think there are any hard
1: and fast rules to age gap romance. However, I do think there's a couple of things we need to be wary of. Obviously, power dynamics being at the forefront, especially when we're talking about very young people who are romantically interested or even involved with mentors, teachers, things like that. Um, regardless of whether or not they are minors or not. I mean, obviously, if they're minors, that's a felony. Uh, yeah. But if they're not minors, it, it still doesn't make it appropriate. Um, but I think one of the things people will ask when you have a May-December romance, as they like to call it, mm-hmm. um, is what do these two people have in common? Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at Harry and Marin versus Erica and Julian, you, you see that Erica and Julian's, like, relationship starts from a place where he is a huge admirer of her work.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: he he didn't even know who she was. It's, you know, she's not a celebrity where he's seen her, you know, on TV or something. He, she's just a name uh, on the playbill, right? But he has seen all of her work and he's a huge admirer and he genuinely wants to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And so as their relationship develops, you have this understanding that it came from a place of genuine interest in that person as an individual and not Mm -hmm. so much like something surface level. On the other hand, you have Harry, which is very much about a man having a midlife crisis, except it probably started – he's just always been in this kind of perpetual – chasing after youth and so he does that by dating younger women obviously he's doing it he wants them to be easy I think he says to Erica on the beach he's like I travel light he doesn't want attachments and I think he is aware and a lot of the women are either aware up front or become aware later that like this relationship isn't going to turn into anything serious Mm -hmm. because of the age difference it's just a fling and look, I'm not trying to tell you if everybody is understanding at the beginning of a relationship that this per- this older person is wants to have a fling with you because they're chasing youth. They're chasing a young piece of ass, for lack of a better term. And if the younger person understands that, understands that, and then what do they get out of the relationship? I don't know. Probably money. He's obviously a, a owns a record company. Mm-hmm. Um so he's a essentially, essentially so he's essentially a sugar daddy for lack yeah. of a better term um i think those are the differences and i say person because i'm not trying to specifically paint this as predatory older men although i do think we see this behavior a lot from older men i mm-hmm. think that there are also Predatory older women like there are oh, yeah. are there definitely women that are in this situation. I don't think it's as common, but it does happen. And I'm not trying to say blanketly that oh, it's fine for a woman to date a younger man because again, depends on the circumstances. But I think Mm -hmm. ultimately what it boils down to is a very surface level, almost transactional relationship and then something that's built on genuine interest uh, that turns into something more. And Mm -hmm. I think what it is, is what kind of relationship do you want? Do you want a fling? Do you want something that lasts? I do think women, older women with younger men get a lot of flack for for it more so than men we don't seem to i don't know i mean i think we we are clocking you know the age differences in romantic relationships uh as particularly celebrities i know there's somebody doing a series on tiktok that's showing you at the time that their date at that they were da- you know these i know there's a creator on tiktok that's making a bunch of videos showing celebrity relationships and telling you how old each of the people were at the time that they were dating. But I think that's why uh, Jack Nicholson feels icky. But it's also just his genuine personality. It's very clear that he's after these women for what they can give him, not so much what they can create together. And I think that's the difference. Erica and Julian, when you think about a romantic relationship, you're probably thinking about a partnership. And that is what I think Erica and Julian are both looking for interested and then later building. Mm. When we think about, you know, flings, relationships that are very uh mostly just take from the other person. There's not a whole lot of give. You're thinking about uh Harry and Marin. Yeah. That's why I don't have a problem with uh Erica and Julian. It's also importantly not a pattern Mm -hmm. She has not been repeatedly dating younger people. You know, at the very beginning of the film, Harry makes the, uh, Maren makes the comment to Harry that, you know, you have a pattern, you don't date anyone over 30. And then he tries to brush this off with, well, nobody over 30 is interested in me, which is total bullshit. You're not interested in someone over 30 because you want a very specific thing from the women that you have flings with, the women that you sleep with. And someone over 30, the likelihood that they are going to be, quote unquote, easy, quote unquote, malleable, easily manipulated, is gets lower as they get mm-hmm. older as they have more life experience, as they've had crappy partners in the past like him. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing too is he's looking for someone who would be impressed by him because it feeds his ego for them to be like, oh my God, I'm dating this guy with all this money and prestige and he runs like four companies and this and that. As you get older and have some of your own accomplishments build and grow, or you see how honestly unimpressive it is for some people to have what he has because of where they may have started. Uh, You know, if they started halfway up the ladder, And you're 50 yards from the bottom of the ladder. It's less impressive. And as you get older, you come to realize that a lot sooner. He needs someone who makes him feel special. The entire relationship has to be about him. Even if he's giving them something, it's because he's giving it.
1: Honestly, it's interesting that you say that because I think part of the reason that I don't like this movie is it felt to me like it was a movie about him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I hated it. I don't think nearly enough time was given to Erica. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the time was split equally amongst the two of them. And if the point is to get them together at the end, if they are your two leads, I, I don't know. I felt uncomfortable.
0: I think the idea is that as an audience, you would feel that he has to have some kind of genuine redemptive arc For the conclusion of the movie, which is them getting together to make sense. But I also feel like it just wholly diminished her own growth. She was in this writer's block and then she created this amazing play that did incredibly well. She's in Paris with her hot, successful doctor boyfriend, who it seems like things are going really well. They're really happy. And then he just shows up and waltzes in and it's almost like we have to accept that he's kind of derailed her life again because what? Because he's changed and now instantly worthy of redemption? Let Erica be with
1: the hot young doctor boyfriend. I yeah. I don't or or I have some other ideas which we can get into later, but certainly she should not be with Harry.
0: No. And I wanted to ask this too. I think that Diane Keaton is absolutely gorgeous. I questioned if I, Jack Nicholson kind of gives me the creeps anyway, just naturally. He, I don't know, he's fucking Jack Nicholson, you know, shining, that sort of shit. So he already kind of gives me an ick. And I wondered to myself, if someone else was put into his role, would I feel as much of an adverse reaction like obviously at this point uh George Clooney would not have been old enough to play this role but if we were making this now if you inserted someone who's way more conventionally attractive like Clooney or even if you don't want someone as conventionally attractive you could put in like Martin Sheen Uh, Potentially, if you wanted to keep the same sort of build that he has, but I wondered if it was just because Jack Nicholson gives me such an ick, and I realized that, yes, he creeps me out, for lack of a better way to put it. But I think it actually served his character really well because his character is supposed to be that smarmy faux charisma type because that's how he has been able to continue to entice these younger women to date him. This whole time It's this weird put on charisma that looking at him, he would not have on the surface.
1: Yeah, no. I as you were saying that, that's what I was thinking. Is as much as sure, maybe it's about Jack Nicholson, but ultimately, I think he's well cast as this character. I think he delivered the slime ball that this guy actually is—the creepy, gross man that (sighs) is Harry. Yeah. So i I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem with the casting. I think it is a problem with the character and you are right i don't think enough happens they i think they rely on the time jump
0: to mm-hmm. explain it but yeah
1: it's not satisfying as a viewer for that to be the explanation that he's changed i think you should definitely see more growth on screen in order for me to approach um a world in which i'm okay with the
0: ending I think the biggest issue was the montage sequence choice that they made when he is going and speaking to all of the women that he had previously been with and then kind of dumped as soon as I don't know, the clock struck midnight for them uh, or when he got bored because he had I mean, even when he was seeing Marin, there was a scene where he called at least one, if not two other women because he was bored and he's not used to being bored because he always has a younger woman to entertain him and neither of them picked up. But with the decision to kind of cut those amends of sorts into a montage where you don't actually hear what's said, I think lost part of the punch that that should have had because you kind of want to see him get eviscerated a little bit by these women and you want to hear him make genuine amends if he's going to be good enough for the redemption arc that he receives at the very end so i feel i i'm a slut for a good montage and that is gonna be merch but i didn't like it here i thought that it really undercut the growth and journey that he should have had on screen
1: I agree with you. I, I'll just i I just I know that a year or actually I guess it's only six months is a long time, but
0: I I don't know. Yeah, I ugh, I don't I I don't like it. In some ways it is, but some ways it isn't. You know, it's just I don't know. I don't. I feel guess like what it's it believable. is is you're you're talking about. He's been doing this for
1: forty years, Mm-hmm. and you're saying in the span of six months he can undo that he can like you know i don't want to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks but that's (laughs) kind of how i feel in this scenario i think you could have a version of this story where he meets this woman and he realizes he's been closed off from a more serious relationship for whatever reason decides he really wants to try but you either then have to make the story about him trying to win her over rather than this half-assed version where he works on himself by essentially just apologizing to every woman which really feels like he's just has a checklist it doesn't feel genuine Mm -hmm. yeah i think you need i think you need genuine growth and also i think more of a a genuine move to try and redeem himself in Erica's eyes. Because yeah. I'm just, I'm unconvinced. This to me feels like Meg Ryan in You've Got Mail going, I, I hoped it was you. I'm like, no, you fucking didn't, Meg. It's, it's a load of shit. I, I yeah. No, you don't. So I find it so hard to believe. And look, I get that people get hung up on people. I'm, that is a thing. But I just find it so hard to believe, especially in this case, that a woman is going to give up a relationship she has with a person that, you know, obviously I'm not in this relationship, I don't know, but it seems very fulfilling. She's getting back in a a certain way the years that she lost after her divorce where she wasn't the hot young thing that men wanted to date and, you know, she worked. Also, she worked on herself. She as as Zoe points out, she became more interesting because she wasn't dating men, which is mm-hmm. not to say you can't be interesting while dating men, but, you know, she didn't just, she wasn't stagnant. Like, he hasn't grown up. Yeah. He is a, he's a man child who just wants to impress women with the bare minimum. And she's not that. She's a mm-hmm. full person, a vibrant person that has, incredible life experiences and opinions and thoughts and a lot of character and you're Mm -hmm. gonna pair her with this guy
0: i just
1: don't buy it i do not buy that this woman loves this
0: man yeah i i don't buy it i completely agree and i think part of it they never really point to this in the movie they don't and I'm glad that they don't but I do wonder if it's maybe like just this undertone idea of she's already been left once and the guy her ex husband ends up getting remarried to someone significantly younger than her and here's Keanu Reeves who You know, it's that that feeling of not being able to trust that this is what they're going to continue to want. It would come with just more complications. But again, he is seeing her as a whole person. And I feel like Jack Nicholson's character is treating her more like an epiphany.
1: Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's perfectly well said.
0: Thank you. You deserve to be more than an epiphany. You deserve to be more than... A woman to love. You deserve to be whole. And on that note, it brings us to our first sponsor of the day. Whole food. I'm kidding. We would never want to be sponsored by Jeff Bezos. Nope. But if he wants to. (laughs) (laughs) We could just work a little editing magic. And we're also not sponsored by Whole Milk because, again, I'm lactose intolerant. (laughs) <laughs> but we could be sponsored by a whole jug of oat milk correct
1: <laughs> Harry says something this is in the dinner scene that I oh makes me so mad because I, I'm i not even blaming him for this thing because this is an attitude a lot of specifically older men seem to have he says like he's escaped the noose and the noose in this situation being marriage mm-hmm And I cannot tell you how infuriating it is when I hear people and it's always cishet men Mm -hmm. that say things like this. They talk about their wives like, oh, the old ball and chain as if they are prisoners, as if they are trapped, as if they do not have a choice. Because guess what you do? You of all people have always had the choice whether or not to get married it's voluntary there are very few instances in which men specifically cishet able-bodied white men have ever Mm -hmm. been forced into marriage or felt like they didn't have a choice but to get married and so the fact that you turn around when also also men are the ones that ask women to marry them yeah so like you lit you literally asked for this And Mm -hmm. if you didn't want to do it, then just don't do it. Just be a bachelor. But anytime I hear a man say that, I want to smack him because I'm like, this is, you You had a choice. So do not sit there and act like you would, you know, you hate it because if you hate it, then get a divorce. Yeah. Or never do it. I, 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 oh God, that drives me up a wall.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, it makes me crazy the idea of like the bachelor party being the last night of freedom. Freedom from what? I don't understand. You are entering into a legally binding contract. For some people, it's also spiritually binding. Why are you going to approach it like a death sentence? Then don't do
1: it. Oh my. Yeah. Like I that's the thing that frustrates me is it's like you you literally don't have to do this. No. Like it's not death and it's not taxes. And honestly, for some of these rich white assholes, they don't do that either. So, like, why are you getting married? Why? Yeah. I, I just don't do it. Like,
0: it is the most infuriating thing. Okay, to completely switch gears, if you'll allow me, I do want to talk about the nude scene. Featuring Diane Keaton. There's two moments of nudity in the film. One is with Jack Nicholson. Um, and we see his ass while he's loopy at a hospital. That was purely for comedic effect. Uh, Diane Keaton's nude scene too is also for comedic. Like it's supposed to be like that awkward like oh god moment. Where she's naked and he's running into her. Um, she thought he was asleep. He's not etc. I found this scene to be very valuable. Because we do not let women over the age of what like 29 30 be nude on screen at that point we just get and you know obviously some people are not comfortable being nude on screen i completely understand and support that um i personally would not but i found this to be very valuable because it goes to show that a body is just a fucking body The reason why it was uncomfortable is it's because it's, you know, a a non-consensual interaction of him witnessing her nude. That's the point of tension in this. But there's not a moment that I can recall where there's anything negative said about the interaction other than the fact that it was awkward.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this... Accidental nude scene is handled really well. I do think that there is a different version of this where there are negative comments made especially from a man that as he says has never seen a woman of that age naked before. Yeah, because he's constantly dating younger women. So those are the only bodies that he's seen. I know. It's really gross. I'm going to keep reminding people of it because this movie is disgusting. Um he's disgusting. On the contrary though, I was really disappointed in their sex scene. Yeah. Because as much as I I don't want Jack Nicholson to be in a sex scene. <laughs> just no, but but I as a concept and and the way that it was handled, I I was disappointed in it because it was all comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have much preferred them to allow an older couple to actually connect in a sex scene the way that we allow young people
0: mm-hmm. to connect.
1: I think they went over the top with the jokes. I think there can be one or you know, one joke at the very beginning. Like, I think him cutting off her turtleneck, I think that was fine. Mm-hmm. But the continued like, let me take your blood pressure, like They're just making fun of older people having sex and I just why I I don't get it and especially because this is the first time that she's had sex probably in years. Mm -hmm. I mean after I I the part afterward where she cries I did like that. I don't like that. It's immediately followed up with Jack Nicholson being like yeah I'm overwhelmed I I had sex uh 3 days after a heart attack and I didn't die. That's got to be a record.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: because the moment she's having of like clarity of feeling like she is sexy mm-hmm. is so important and I feel like it's just really undercut and undermined by the immediate follow-up of Jack Nicholson's joke and especially yeah. as it was the before that like tender moment that she's having the whole sex scene is just jokes like oh it's so funny so i was extremely disappointed in in that scene and and i really feel like we should let older women's sex and romance life be seen as sexy and
0: romantic rather mm-hmm. than comedic it's the idea of if you're not seen as desirable, then what else are you left with in our society? I mean, I've talked about Fleabag before on some probably many episodes, but that's sort of the... Not to give anything away. It doesn't give anything away. But that's sort of the climax of the first season is just coming to. Oh, that was a good pun. I saw your face and I was like, I didn't mean to do that. But that was fucking funny. Um, But no, that's the. <laughs> you did it again. God, I'm so unintentionally humorous. I can see why people love being around me. <laughs> I Here's the thing. When you don't do it on
1: purpose, it's very funny because it's just like coincidental. Yeah, that you said climax and then fucking funny. <laughs> but when you do it on purpose, it's like no, you're trying too hard.
0: Yeah, I understand. But no, the pinnacle, there you go, of season one is coming to grips with the idea of if you feel like you are not desirable. She says fuckable. Um, but if you're no longer physically wanted by someone you know at basically every point of your life what good are you because it really boils down to the feeling of community connection um and intimacy and i feel like that's what we don't want to show in older single people for some reason it makes no sense to me and i completely understand that's why the sex scene was so cheapened especially with his <sighs> need to break the intimacy that was momentarily there in her revelation is because we can't allow them to be seen in a truly intimate way that also involves physical intimacy that's weird no it's not it is so human and spoiler alert apparently women's sex drives go crazy after like age 40 so he really should have been leveling up well i also think on the whole it's a little bit ace phobic mm-hmm. to
1: i mean just in general the erasure of asexual individuals but i also think in this sense the idea that the value in relationships is primarily and always at the forefront physical mm-hmm. is completely um diminishing the other ways in which people connect with each other mm-hmm. um they're you know demisexual folks who Only experience sexual attraction after an emotional bond is formed, for example, that emotional intimacy would need to happen for, you know, I would wager a number of those folks uh, to desire uh, sex but you know i i think that this this emphasis that we have on physicality when it's the like most fleeting thing like mm-hmm. youth beauty are things that you have but time and circumstance will will take them from you and also mm. then we run into the issue of like what is beautiful right because yeah. we, we certainly society has put forth a set of criteria in which they're judging people by but that's not going to align with Individual beauty standards, right? Yeah. So it just—it's just annoying. I I don't have a better (laughs) word for it. It's just annoying. It this idea that we're all the same—that I hate. Mm
0: -hmm. Like
1: the only way it seems like we can have discussions if we is or or share stories is if we take a lot for granted about the similarities between people. But I think what people find most often is that we're not really all that similar. Like not in in these like nuanced ways sure you know we we hu- human beings but like <laughs> apart from that uh you know people have a lot of differences and I hate that in a lot of the stories that get told there's a lot of shorthand that basically boils down to this is something everyone experiences or this is an opinion everyone has, or mm-hmm. this is an outlook that everybody shares and which it's just all bullshit, I hate it,
0: yeah, well, I mean when I was uh, doing work on my undergraduate thesis, part of the crux of my issue was trying to establish universal taboos and you could say, oh cannibalism most most places most places frown on cannibalism incest for the most part yeah because it's biologically unsound as well we as people have kind of figured that out too but it's not you know eradicated. certainly not eradicated you know it's, it's shunned and it's a taboo in pretty much everywhere harm to a child pretty much everywhere but we also have child labor because you know the basis of capitalism is exploitation and that doesn't discriminate age-wise, race-wise, you know, for the most part if you can be exploited you will be exploited unless you are the one exploiting. That's your that's how you circumvent that. And it's it was strange to see just exactly that how much we can assume or how much we do assume and how much we actually can't assume. And I feel like that gets to the heart of the issues that a lot of rom-coms have, which is a lot of them are very white. A lot of them are very privileged in terms of money. I mean, think about this. This is set at a beach house in the Hamptons owned by a playwright. And all of the love interests are doctors or like Marin, for example. She's an auctioneer. That's one, a job I would love to have. (laughs) But two, just completely out, out of left field for most people that you would interact with. So I feel like you are completely correct, and this movie is able to highlight both the breaking of that, but also the reinforcement of it as well.
1: It's funny that you should mention incest as a a possible universal taboo because this this film,
0: yeah, is mm. really
1: skirting like some kind of weird incest adjacent line, yeah. and. If you're okay with it, Madison, I would like to talk about fixes for this movie, please. Uh, Number one, let's box it up and throw it in a steel container to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, I think this movie would work a lot better if the setup for the rom-com isn't that he is dating her daughter. Yeah. Also because I find it very ridiculous and over the top that he ends up at her beach house and the daughter leaves that's something you brought up earlier Mm -hmm. so instead what i propose is she is this you know wealthy playwright with a beach house in the hamptons and she decides you know she's lonely maybe her sister and her daughter are going on a trip and maybe they recommend why don't you like rent out the beach house or better yet if we don't believe she would just rent it out to anybody she works in a very creative industry that would have ties to other creative industries of which he is a part of. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a friend of a friend, a friend of a colleague, something like that who needs a place to go for whatever reason. It's just looking for a beach house for the season. And so he ends up there as her roommate in this very large house And, you know, he's continuing to live his life. So you can have a very successful montage of him seeing these other women, her observing this and being disgusted. You can have a lot of the same conversations that you're having. But then when he has the heart attack, which kind of is what brings them together because afterwards she is helping to take care of him, Mm -hmm. it makes more sense that he's going to go back to her house, that she is going to be the one caring for him. Why did his people leave? I don't know. That makes no sense to me. Um, they're not really called away. They just are go away. Yeah. So I think that that could do a lot. It gets rid of this weird, I'm going to date my daughter's boyfriend, this old guy that like, I I don't like it. it. It makes an already icky
0: situation feel 10 times more icky. You mean almost being Eskimo sisters with your mother and yeah. having made out with your stepfather?
1: Exactly. Exactly. We don't like it. We're gonna get rid of it. I don't think it's gonna change all that much about the story. She can still write the play that she writes. It's just not as autobiographical, but there can be specific moments in it that would still upset him when he realizes what the play is about. Yeah. Um, or it it could be slightly different. It doesn't have to be about a woman falling in love with her daughter's older boyfriend. It can be it can be the story about this man that she led into her uh, beach house and you know the string of women and how they grew closer together and blah 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 like I, or you, you know still what i
0: have you could make Marin be like her assistant and so she has this beach house that she tells her assistant you can use and then they end up showing up at the same time you could basically keep the same plot just have her not be related to her yeah i really just can't she cannot be related to to
1: erica it's 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 icky at a whole new level and i don't like it so that would be my fix I also like we said before I think I would add more on screen growth to Harry in a way that's more believable for me to say yeah it makes sense that she's going to pick him in the end because ultimately it feels like she's been incredibly hurt by this person and I get that the hurt is how she's able to right she seems to be having writer's block until he comes into her life and then after you know she's heartbroken she kind of pours that into this play which ends up being a big success so i understand that part but like afterwards like over these last six months like she's been living life and i just feel like it's a big backwards step so i need something else to happen for me to believe that she wants to end up with harry or alternatively the beginning of part of the film stays the same, but instead we see a woman choosing herself in the end and choosing herself means that she's not going to pick Harry, that she's going to continue whatever kind of relationship she has with Julian, whether that turns into something or not, it doesn't matter because Mm -hmm. instead of, instead of living for herself being like, I don't have the option to have a man and everybody knows you need a man to complete you. Instead of it being that, it's a story where she's like, well, I have had that and I can have that. But instead, I'm putting myself first and I'm going to do these things because you know what? There's more to life than men.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that would be a much more satisfying ending. And so it doesn't even have to be about Julian. Really what it is, is being affected by this romance and or that or rather the lack of romance and being able to move forward and get out of this rut where she's kind of angry because she is she's upset that her life to a certain extent has turned out the way that it has and she is rigid in certain things but ultimately i think realizing that you could break those rules allowed her to open up in order to not be blocked creatively so i think you can have all of that in the movie and have it be more satisfying than it in its current iteration
0: i completely agree um and you know i thought the casting for pretty much everyone was great I thought that this was, it was odd at first, you know, you have Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton, Keanu Reeves, Amanda Peet, Francis McDormand was the most perfectly cast ever, loved it. Yeah, it was oddly well cast, like you wouldn't think that these pieces fit as well together as they do. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I don't have any super major fixes other than increasing Harry's growth, letting her be with Keanu anyway. And maybe her and Harry can be friends and he can finally start dating someone who's age appropriate, you know, or seek out a relationship that is meaningful. And then, yeah, make Marin not her daughter. I'm sorry, it just ends with them sitting across from Marin and her husband with their one-year-old like imagine I don't know just imagine telling your spouse by the way I've made out with this guy who's now my stepfather no it's it's so achy I wouldn't want to tell that story at dinner parties oh no how'd oh, uh-huh. your how'd your parent how'd your mom and your stepdad meet oh well I was about to have sex with him, and then he had a heart attack. My mom performed CPR, and then he stayed at her beach house until he recovered. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I know that there are very strange family
1: dynamics out there, but that is just beyond. Yeah, it's like
0: I may have double cousins, but (laughs) I don't have that. (laughs) Should I explain how I have double cousins, or should I just leave it up to the imagination? You know, I think it's funnier if you don't explain, especially so cuz how many times
1: is it going to come up? It came yeah. up in the Sweet Home Alabama episode. Here we are with something's got to give. So I guess the next time that we have a very rural
0: or slightly incestuous story, you can bring it up. <laughs> There's no incestuous promise. My parents are not related. I just want to throw that out there. Anyway, okay. So we've described what we Liked about the movie, which was some. We love Diane Keaton.
1: Adore Diane Keaton. I also really like Keanu Reeves.
0: Yeah, I do too. I watched God. And Frances McDormand. I was about to say, what did I watch recently that had Keanu Reeves? <laughs> <laughs> that would be last week's episode where yes. he
1: played himself in Always Be My Maybe. Oh, my God. I love him so
0: much. Back-to-back Keanu cameos. I love that for us. I love this journey for us. But we've gone through what we like. We've gone through what we definitely didn't like and what we would change. But is this movie even a rom-com, Chelsea?
1: I don't know, Madison. Let's turn to our trusted rom-com criteria to determine whether or not this is, in fact, a rom-com. So, firstly, do they date? Are there moments in which we see these characters growing closer together?
0: I, okay, so I'm assuming that obviously the romantic pairing is Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. The answer is definitely yes. I mean, you have the walks on the beach, you have them making pancakes together, eating ice cream together. Like they have these really sweet moments where he's able to both humanize himself and her at the same time. Because he's the one who has all of the work to do. Diane Keaton's perfect and no one can tell me otherwise. So yeah, they do date. I feel like that's a pretty solid slam dunk. That's a sports metaphor.
1: (laughs) Great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think there's definitely dating happening. They're obviously in close quarters, which allows for the kind of accelerated relationship. But yeah, there's... Like there's that sweet montage of them on the beach, and so yeah, they definitely date. Check number yeah. one.
0: Did we laugh? Uh, were we meant to laugh? Are there setups for comedy? Even if we didn't laugh, there's definitely setups for comedy.
1: I, however, I don't think I laughed at anything in this movie. I felt uncomfortable. I. I saw where the where you're supposed to laugh, but as I've described, I didn't like the humor during their sex scene. All of it is just it's gro it it was just gross i so I didn't <laughs> like it, but yes, there are setups for comedy, so
0: it does pass I think here. I feel like at this juncture we need to have a like a soap company sponsor us just so we can clean ourselves after watching this film. But yeah, I would agree. I don't know. I mean, I think there are probably moments that I found funny. Do I remember them at this juncture? Not really. Because I think the biggest moments that they tried for was like the Jack Nicholson butt scene, you know, it was it's whatever. Did I want to see it? No. The sex scene again, it just cheapened what could have been really, really great in terms of intimacy. It was there, So yes, it it fits the comedy bill. All right. So with two checks, moving to the last point, is love
1: in the driver's seat? Meaning, does romantic love propel the plot forward?
0: I think that was the intention. Even though I don't buy into the romance, I don't really buy the romantic evolution. I think it kind of has to be because... Her growth is coming into herself again as, you know, a being of intimacy, a being of romance, um, being comfortable embracing yourself in that idea, kind of immersing yourself in that feeling again and feeling okay with that. And his is realizing that he wants more than a couple hundred tawdry affairs that he wants you know a meaningful relationship in his life. So I would say yes, it is even if I don't jive with it. Yeah, I'm also inclined to agree with
1: you uh about this one. I think individually we see especially after the kind of midpoint of the film they're both motivated by romance. In a way, either
0: mm-hmm.
1: romance being kind of the ignition, and then they go off to make themselves better, or chasing it like that's what you're running after. Mm-hmm. And I think with them coming together at the end, it's clear that that's where the plot was leading the whole time. I don't like this romantic plot to be clear. And I don't think that's a mystery. I think I've made myself <laughs> clear throughout this episode. Uh so, yeah, I don't like it, but I definitely think that that is the driving force of this story. I don't think there's enough character growth of any one individual to say that this was a story about self-discovery or like a second chance. I, I think it- it's framed very much as a romance, mm-hmm. so it gets a check. So with three checks, it passes this
0: uh, this movie. Uh, something's got to give is a rom-com it sure is and again i i chose it for a reason i chose it because i felt like it had merit of being an older romance you know and i feel like that should be more in the forefront of film it's just not but again i don't madison my hope is that as we continue that
1: we'll come across or that we will find other rom in which the romantic leads are not young people. I would like to see ol- other older romances. And honestly, I would like to see one that's done well, or at least where my criticisms of it aren't of the actual romance. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I would, I would like to feel good about
0: a romance starring two older people. I'm going to have to do a search, but I will find it. This will be like the Holy Grail. I'll do this for you. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. So was this movie watchable, Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> Oof.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I-, I think our answers to this won't be surprising at all. But just in case people aren't familiar with how we determine if something's watchable, how we grade films, if you will... We offer a watchability score on a scale from one to five modeled after a walkability score, which is something uh, real estate agents use to rate properties and destinations on how walkable they are uh, to reach things like movie theaters, restaurants, libraries, etc. So coming in at number one, we have Stranded in the Desert. Two is Backroads Barbecue. Three, Stranded in Suburbia. Nope. Three... Strip mall in suburbia, four, four blocks from a transit stop. And number five, the best coffee in town is right Downstairs. So Madison, what would you like to offer this film?
0: You're going to be surprised, okay? I'm giving this movie a 2.5. That is utterly shocking. (laughs) And I will tell you why. One, Diane Keaton, immediate bump up. All right, but I feel like we did not touch on it and perhaps we should have Francis McDormand's uh, monologue that she has during the dinner scene is worthy of a half point in and of itself because it was excellent. So with that, Diane Keaton bumps it up from a one by a single point, and then Francis McDormand, nope, Francis McDormand bumps it up by an extra half point. So I give this movie a 2.5. While I agree that Diane Keaton
1: is incredible and while I agree that Frances McDormand's monologue in the dinner scene is iconic, I cannot abide by that (laughs) 2.5. That is way too high. I am giving this movie a 1. This movie is in the penalty box with never been kissed.
0: (laughs) For honestly, similar reasons. (laughs) yeah yeah maybe maybe age gap romances are where we're gonna really break for you you really love child friends to no that sounds bad to say child friends you're like you really love child i'm like are you gonna maybe don't pause after that
1: childhood friends to lovers romance? yep you want to so try I... that again no i'm keeping all of this in Ay, ay, ay. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. The age gap, <laughs> it's a hard sell for me. If anybody has recommendations on films that actually do it well, where you don't feel icky watching, I think what the problem is, is they always try to make the age gap really jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like having a 45 year old dating a 60 year old. You know what I mean? Like, they never have it be like, I don't know, something like that. It's always the 25-year-old dating the 55-year-old.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's always like you could easily be your dad. Yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, Chelsea, if you want to look at a really wonderful age gap romance, why haven't you just looked at the uh, video of my life? I've had a really bad one. Had a really good one. There you go. I don't think any of your age gaps were that significant though um the first was seven years the second was 12 with the good one was 12 yeah
1: okay all right you know what i take back my previous statement
0: (laughs) you can you can allow the early 20s to date the mid 30s i mean i don't know it's very situationally dependent i fully recognize that i uh, while having um engaged in age gap romances um i can also fully get behind the fact that more often than not they are fucking weird i also do like to be mean um like within uh my 12 year age gap (laughs) romance my favorite thing to do is to say um he would make a, a reference to something that i know but it's also a kind of dated reference like it might be a tv show like in the early 90s or something like that that he's quoting or something and i'd be like what or i don't know who that is what are you talking about i know what it is i'm just being a dick (laughs) the biggest point of contention was wishbone you know the dog that tells historical stories yeah Yeah, me not being super familiar with Wishbone was devastating. Well, Madison, that... I just read myself for filth this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chelsea, um, now that we've decided that you have put this movie in the penalty box where it probably belongs and I let it roam free, unadulterated, as a 2.5, what are we watching next week where maybe I can redeem myself?
1: I don't know, Madison. What are we watching next week?
0: I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Next week, we are watching Notting Hill. We're bringing back Hugh Grant because I missed him.
1: And Julia Roberts
0: because I missed her. And Roman Holiday in a new packaging. I'm not sure if I completely buy it, but we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll see. I already have cocktail ideas. They all involve tea. Great. Give me the tea. Oh, I'll give you. I learned. Okay. This is a complete segue and we don't necessarily have to like, this is a complete aside, but I learned recently where give me the tea comes from is actually um, a phrase created by a black trans woman and t was actually the letter t which she used to abbreviate truth like basically like share your truth um and it got picked up and more widespread and got turned into tea like you know spill the tea um and that's that's where we got that so once again black trans women are the backbone of our society they really really are Mm-hmm.
1: Um. certainly very divisive right now which i don't want to make light
0: of but no we n- may not be sponsored uh but if any of our listeners have extra money they want to throw somewhere please throw it towards your local community helpers that are trying to Stop the rampant transphobia that we not only see just in general social circles lately, but more importantly, uh, on the legislative floor, there have been an insane slew of transphobic legislation. Trans kids deserve health care. Trans adults deserve
1: health care. And drag queens can read children stories. Mm-hmm. Promoting literacy, not a crime.
0: No. Drag queens promote literacy. What do the hateful bigots who are against drag promote? Um, banning books. Exactly. They want your kids to be illiterate and sad. That's why we need to vote them out and also put our money where it counts, and not in the pockets of transphobes. Well, on that note, where else can they vote, Chelsea?
1: <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, what a what a segue. Uh, yes, every week following our most recent episode, you can head on over to our Instagram at love at first screening, where we offer a poll, uh, to determine whether or not monster in law was a rom-com, not a rom-com or some of Jane Fonda's finest work. And let me tell you, I was a little disappointed that no one said it was Jane Fonda's finest work. And look, I know that that's not the right answer. Because she's done a lot of great things. And this was, you know, just a drop in the bucket. But I feel like everyone's ignoring her. On the other hand, very happy because as of the last time that I checked, people were in agreement that it was not a rom-com.
0: I do want to say that I had qualms with this poll because two answers were right at the same time. And I was limited to just one. So... (laughs) Anyway, you can participate in polls like that one every week following our most recent
1: episode. It's posted to our story. It's available for 24 hours. So vote or, you know, democracy will fail. But if you have a recommendation for a film you'd like us to watch, perhaps a film starring two older people that isn't gross and disgusting and disrespectful, <laughs> you can send those over in an email to screening at gmail.com. You can also tell us your thoughts, feelings. You can recommend a different film. You can recommend a film that's not a rom-com. You'd like us to make a rom-com because I'd like to remind people once every season we do a bonus episode called Rom-Com Respawn. Last season it was Blade. We made a great film out of that. Uh, we do have one planned for this season, but if you want to get ahead of the curve for next season,
0: you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, because we're planning that now. We plan out so far in advance. And why do we do that, Chelsea? Because we're professionals. We are professionals. That was beautiful. Why don't you sing our intro song? Um, I was not asked. Oh, my God.
1: We'll fix that for season three. Do a whole facelift. You know honestly i I sound good sometimes, but I had a cold back in like September, and ever since then, I cannot hit certain notes anymore, and which is honestly pretty sad, and I'm kind of scared, but also I don't normally like warm up before I just sing a little ditty, so maybe if I properly warmed up, I would be in better shape. Who
0: knows? Do you think that we should start a band?
1: I think we should absolutely start a band, and I would like to be the drummer.
0: Perfect. I
1: I can play rhythm guitar. Great. Um, here's what I like to tell people. I I my skills very limited. My enthusiasm, I'm coloring outside the lines. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll learn how to play bass. How hard could it be? Exactly. How car you know what it's funny? There are I think the I think um unless I'm confusing two different stories, but I wanna say that the band that I like, Pierce the Veil, their bassist Jaime, um didn't actually play bass and he but he that's they needed a bassist like he played the guitar they, need, they needed a bassist and i feel like he just kind of like i'll figure it out kind of yeah. a vibe.
0: there you go then i could do that i just need a bass let me find i could be
1: i could be wrong about that and i'm gonna be honest we talked a couple episodes ago about you know coming back to these facts that we're not so sure are facts
0: uh-huh.
1: um i'm gonna be real honest if you want to know if that's true or not look it up but i'm Honestly, sure that nobody that listens to this cares about Pierce the Veil. That's why I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you. If you're really interested, look it up.
0: Yeah, I've seen them live once, but when did you see them? They opened for All Time Low. 20s. (gasps) Was it the Spring Fever tour? Yeah, I think so. I also were you there? No. Well, I saw it in Orlando,
1: but yeah, and I met them. I went to the meet. Well, I didn't meet All Time Low. Here's the thing about All Time Low. They are in the genre of music that I listened to in high school, but I wasn't a fan of them. But ironically, they're the most popular band of the ones I would listen to. Um, so there were at least three or four shows where All Time Low was either the headliner or the co-headliner. And I i never stayed... like. It's not that I left the concert, but I, like, would go around and, like, buy merch or do something else. And I feel really bad because I actually like All Time Low, but apparently I don't care to watch them in concert. Uh, I feel terrible.
0: Well, what during that show, I actually saw, I think it was during the Pierce the Veil, or is after the Pierce the Veil set had finished. You know, they do the shit where they, you know, sling out picks and toss sticks, that sort of stuff. And they had tossed a stick and the chick like three feet near me is little, little girl. I say little, like she's like physically very small, um, grabbed it. And then look, I grew up with a metalhead dad who like followed kiss around for a whole summer and has his basement is full of paraphernalia. I mean, he has a whole book of guitar picks that he's caught at shows and he has it labeled, you know, who it was, when he saw them, that sort of thing. Very cool. Uh he has a Marky Ramon stick. So it, it, he has yeah, he's a lot. Um so I know the protocol. You get a set list, you shove that shit up your shirt. You get a pick, you put that shit in your pocket or your bra if you don't have a pocket. You get a stick, you shove that shit down your waistband that's just like in my head that's ingrained and she's over here and she's like waving it around cuz she's so excited that she got it and this girl who was like twice her size grabbed both ends of the stick and like one end and the other and then twisted it to try to get it i almost broke this chick's wrist trying to get the stick out of her hand i mean it was the craziest shit ever I've gotten my hand stepped on. I got, I caught one of uh,
1: Tony's picks for the guitar, one of the guitarists from Pierce the Veil. At, um, mm-hmm. I think it was an, a, a Day to Remember was the headliner of that concert. And I remember I had to, it fell on the ground. I put my foot on top of it. And then when I mm. went down to get it, somebody stepped on my hand. And then even though it was on the floor, I shoved that in my mouth because I was like, I don't want anyone else to have it it's uh, yep. disgusting
0: I'm surprised I've lived this long uh, <laughs> honestly I got a pick from um, Dave Rubin of American Authors at a show he had had it between his teeth and um, when he took it out it had a spit on it and <sighs> okay, leading up to this the lead singer um, Zach Barnett he had taken a washcloth and like wiped his face with it and threw it out in the crowd and my mom just on reflex like snapped it up and then she got really nervous, like, oh, this is probably going to smell gross. And she kind of, like, sniffed it gently and then, like, shoved it in my face because it just smelled like, like, Tide or whatever. And so to get her back, I took this spitty-ass base pick and just shoved it straight into her palm. <laughs> so I'm no stranger my, to
1: that.
0: My mom, at this very moment, hearing that
1: story, is probably remember remembering that she took a friend and I to Van's Warped Tour. Oh, and I think we God. were... it was falling in reverse which they've broken up but ronnie uh had taken off his orange bandana he like shoved it down the front of his pants and like moved it around and then tossed it into the crowd and my mom she'll (laughs) you know what next time you're at my house madison ask my mother about this i will her facial expressions telling this story is
0: just really captures her feelings (laughs) about Oh my god, that is so fucking incredible. Uh I feel like I could just go on and on with like a oh, let me tell you about the time I pulled the set list off the stage at a Strats concert, but we, we really could, but uh, I feel like we've
1: given them a, a an an intro at the at the outro here, so I know we have. They might have already turned on off. They don't want to listen to us talk about concerts anymore. Write in. Let us know. Should we talk about concerts more? Should we do a special episode in which we just share all
0: of our concert stories? I have a lot of them. I'm sure Madison does too. I do. We should do it. We should do it. Just someone write in. I'll write in under a pseudonym.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Once again, we are Love It First Screening. We're here every Wednesday talking about all of the rom-coms you love, love to hate, and everything in between. So until next time.